We're back in the book of 2 Corinthians, back in 2 Corinthians, and I'm going to do my best to talk really loud so our D-Now kids stay awake today, and so I remember these days of D-Now, and it is uh, very little sleep, and I know you guys got a lot of great stuff, and we'll talk more about that in a few minutes, but uh, we're in 2 Corinthians here, and this is a great passage of Scripture. Let me tell you where we're at as we move through this book. Paul has been defending his apostleship. We know Paul is an apostle. I mean, he wrote a good portion of the New Testament. But to this church at Corinth, which surprisingly he started, and then they rejected him because they had their eyes on bigger people, more popular people, better speakers, these guys who were more philosophical than Paul. And so they thought that Paul was maybe not quite as great as they once did. And so Paul is defending his apostleship and giving them reasons why that he and they should not lose heart. Don't, don't quit. Don't get discouraged in ministry. And so today's big idea is the fact that he says, don't lose heart because we know the difference between our earthly home and our eternal home. You've got to remember the difference between your earthly home and your heavenly home. And we say, duh, we know that, right? But give it a few minutes and let's think about it and let's see. So we're in chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. I'll read, follow along on the screen in your Bible, in the app. For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house, house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we were still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He, has, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Let's pray, and we'll look at this passage. Father God, we thank you for your word that gives us life, that gives us truth, that gives us nourishment to live these lives with a proper perspective. And God, as we anticipate not just the future that you will bring to us one day, but God, the, what you're doing right now in the current, in the present, we thank you for this incredible weekend that these students have had with D-Now. We thank you for the way you're working in our homes and our lives God, in our community, God, I pray that you will allow us today to just recognize your kingship, your lordship in every area of our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the songs that they did at D-Now this week, which is one of my favorite songs right now currently, it says, here's some of the words to it. It says, so come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song, because you got a line inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. And I love how the person who wrote this, this song, he's like telling himself, all right, hey, wake up. You know, what's going on here? Wake up. Be ready. Let your voice ring out. Be, be bold. Be, be courageous. And he probably has in mind Psalm 42.5 where David wrote similar words. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? So he's, he's talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hoping God. So he tells himself, he says, Hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just had to like, hello, self, get your attention for something? 
Some years ago, we were moving from Chattanooga, Tennessee, down to Tallahassee, and Michelle had went on ahead, and I was moving all the stuff down, and Chattanooga got hit with this huge snowstorm all the way down through Atlanta and even snow flurries down into Georgia. And here I am trying my best to get out of Chattanooga to get to Tallahassee, and I'm about in uh, Thomasville, and this trip has taken me so much longer than I had anticipated it taking because of the road conditions. And so I'm driving, and I just cannot stay awake. I mean, you're having those moments like some of you right now where you're like, oh, I just can't. I'm trying. I'm trying. I can't. I can't. And I finally just had to start hitting myself and hitting myself on the head. And they're like, John, wake up, John. Wake up, John. And I love the fact that in this passage of Scripture today that Paul is pretty much doing that. He's reminding them to wake up and remember some important truths. Look what he says in verse 1. He says, for we know, all right? So he's not giving them something new here. He's reminding them of something they already know. And there's just incredible power in remembering the truths from Scripture. And so many times when you come to church, you can easily say, well, I know all this stuff. Like, I know the Bible. I know, like, what we're going to talk about. But really the proof of whether we really know it or not is how we're living our lives and how we're operating according to the truths from Scripture, right? And that's why we have to be reminded again and again and again. So Paul is specifically in this passage reminding them of the future, and he's talked a lot about the resurrection to them up to this point. Back in the first book, in 1 Corinthians, the entire chapter 15 was dedicated to the resurrection. And he's mentioned the resurrection several times in 2 Corinthians already. And so he's just calling to remembrance. The word remember is used over 300 times in the Bible. And while Paul doesn't use the word remember here, he's reminding them of this truth that they already know. And let me just say this to our students. If you want the impact of this weekend to continue, you've got to remember some things, right? You may not remember the details about the speaker or the band. You may not remember all the things that you did and talked about in small group. But you need to remember the truths that you gleaned from this weekend, and you need to take those and remind yourself daily about those things so that you can walk or live in those truths. And so that's what Paul is reminding them. He's, he's saying, you know this already. And what, does he, what do they know? That if this tent, verse 1, in this earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so, what a beautiful metaphor. Jake Lawrence, where are you at? He's going to help me with something here. Jake, hustle up here. Is he here? Yeah, there you go. Move. Come on. Let me see you sprint. All right, come on. Let's go. All right, there we go. All right, so he's going to get me a little prop here this morning. Just drag that out here because I don't think there's any better metaphor for our body on this earth than a tent. And I felt for D-Now weekend that the more visual we had this, the better because anything even as silly as a tent might be able to help you stay awake for a second anyway, so... Let's set this tent there. Thank you, Jake. Appreciate it. Give him a hand. And so, tent. Why, why does he say a tent? He calls this body a tent. Well, think back to when you stayed in tents before. When I was a kid, on the weekends during the summer, we would always go to, to my buddies, John and Joe Fox, who lived right down the street from us, and we would set our tents up in their backyard, and we would camp out for Friday nights. And we did that a lot during the summer. Then they moved like a couple miles away and kind of in a pasture, we would set up behind their house, and we would set up, and we, we bought the cheapest tents imaginable, right? We, we didn't have Walmart, but we went to the local store. We bought tents, just cheap things like this right here, and uh, you know a tent is, is very unstable. 
you feel very vulnerable if you've been in a tent and there's been some wild animals nearby or if you've heard like people walking by your tent. You feel very vulnerable because you know that it's not going to protect you from anything. You know that it's just a temporary place. This is not something where you can live in a long period of time because it's not built to be durable. It's not built to be lasting. And we always found that out on Saturday morning when our tent was wearing out or it was not good anymore because we'd be laying there on Saturday morning, maybe a dreary, rainy Saturday, and all of a sudden there'd be water dripping on our faces in the middle, you know, in there in the morning, and we had to wake up a lot earlier than we wanted to. And so a tent is a perfect metaphor. It's a perfect illustration about our lives, our bodies, because they just wear out. This tent, we used it on one backpacking trip, and I, I would not use it again because it's not reliable. It was already leaking on the first trip. It's just not something that's going to be durable and last for any period of time. That's the point that Paul's getting to when he says this body is a tent. This body is temporary. We know that. We know that, but we don't really know that, right? We don't embrace that. And Paul is working hard to embrace, help the Corinthians embrace this reality. And then Paul says that his tent won't simply probably wear out like we all hope to do. We all hope to live to about 80, 85 years old, 90 years old, and we just kind of wear out. We go to sleep one night, and we just, and we're gone to be with God. That's what we all hope, right? But Paul knows that's probably not going to be the reality, and it wasn't the reality for him, right? He says it's going to be destroyed. He uses the word destroyed because people wanted to kill Paul for spreading the gospel, for preaching the gospel. The Jews hated him. The Gentiles were threatened by him. And, you know, we think that the Paul being Paul, he would have no fear of death, but he was human just like we are, and I'm sure he's reminding himself as well as the Corinthians the reality of a premature death. This was reality for Paul. He knew that at any time for the gospel, he could be stoned, he could be taken into jail and beaten and killed, he could be put to death as he was eventually by execution, and so this was the reality for Paul, and he talked a lot about Death, why did he talk so much about death? Because the last time I checked, the human mortality rate has continued to be about 100%, right? Exactly 100%. It doesn't change. For all of century, of all of time, it's going to happen. So Paul knows that he has to address these realities. And even as an apostle, when they look at him and they're like, okay, Paul, you're an apostle, so why are you taking this beating? Why are you like fearful for your life? Why are you worried that people might put you to death? Because Paul realized that even though, and he was telling the, the church at Corinth this, even though he was an apostle, that doesn't make him immune from the realities and the hardships of preaching the gospel, giving the gospel, and what would come toward us if we do that. And these super apostles that we're going to see later on in future chapters, these guys who claim to be so great, they didn't face any resistance because why? They weren't living upside down from the culture. They were living like the culture. They were embracing everything that the culture says to embrace and not living differently. So Paul speaks of death. He's always talking about death, but he what always talks about life when he talks about death. Whenever Paul brings up death, he talks about life. And we know death is not a good thing. And even though it's going to be true for all of us if Jesus doesn't return, the truth of it is that it was not an original part of God's creation. It wasn't part of the original plan for his creation. And for every lost person that's sitting in this room, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, Scripture says the wages of sin is death. And here's my advice for unbelievers. Enjoy this life, right? Because it's going to be the closest thing to heaven that you ever experience. 
because there is going to be an accounting for what you did with Jesus Christ. Better advice is to turn to Jesus, put your faith in Jesus Christ. For the Christian, Paul is making the point, we don't have to be afraid of death. We do not have to live in fear of death. And so as he goes through this chapter, he's going to give us some reasons why that we don't have to fear death and why we can trust God. Look at what he says in verse 1. He says, we don't have to fear death because we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So he says, if we die, we don't have to be homeless because God is building for us something far much better than this tent that we're living in today. Look at verse 2. Because in this tent we groan. He's saying it's a struggle. Longing, he says, to put on our heavenly dwelling. Verse 3, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. Now, you may be like, what's being said here, right? Paul switches metaphors, right? He's talking about a house. Now he moves to clothing. What's he talking about? And a casual reading of this could maybe be confusing to you. But Paul does this for a reason. Why does he do it? He combines this picture of this tent with this idea of clothing, enabling him to say something similar, but from a slightly different angle. And we're going to see that in a second. So changes the metaphors, but he's, he's doing it for a purpose. And so as we dive into this, know that Paul did not write this passage to answer every question that we have about life after death. That wasn't Paul's intention. Paul didn't sit down and say, let me tell you all about what's going to happen in the future. Fortunately, we glean from these great insights. We learn a lot of things about the mystery of life after death from Paul as he's talking and encouraging not to lose heart here. So when it comes to life after death, the average person on the street doesn't understand what's next. They don't. And now that's really a commentary on where we are in America because it wasn't that long ago that people on the street would at least have a biblical understanding, a biblical perspective of what happens next. But that's not the America of the world that we live in any longer. So today there's great confusion. And as ambassadors for Jesus, we need to understand this and know it. When people ask questions and they ask us about other things that we'll see in a second, how do we respond to that? And so as we look at this, this passage, one advice I have for you, I was doing discipleship with a younger guy the other day, and we read through this very passage. And I said, hey, you really need to use skills of observation here because this passage, when you read it, he was looking at me like, huh? Like, because it feels very confusing and because of the switching of metaphors, we can get really lost in that for a minute. But I learned from Howard Hendricks at Dallas Seminary that we have to slow down and really observe what's being written to make notes of what's being said in this passage of Scripture. In fact, uh, Dr. Hendricks, he would put a picture on the screen in our classroom, about 200 students in there, and it was a picture that they used for FBI, training FBI agents at Quantico, and he put this up and he'd say, write down as many observations about this picture that you see. Because he was trying to hone, the FBI was trying to hone their ability to see beyond the obvious. And so as we read this passage, we have to slow down and realize and note some things that Paul's saying if it we're going to interpret and understand this passage. So let's read it again. So he says, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan. So he says groan twice, right? We groan. He's, he's, he's feeling burdened in this tent. Being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, what's he talking about, but that we would be 
further clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. And so as we read this, we see that Paul is longing for this heavenly dwelling. And so if the tent represented what? What's the tent represent? Our earthly dwelling, our earthly self. Then we know that Paul, when he spoke about that, uh, talked about in verse 1, he talked about the building from God. And now he talks about this, uh, what God's doing is dwelling, heavenly dwelling, that this is something to do with our spiritual bodies, our spiritual life, and our future life in eternity and then he says that he wants to put on this heavenly dwelling. So he wants to put this on. Easy to get lost here. Don't get lost. We'll pull this together. That he won't be found naked, but he prefers to be further clothed. All right? That's going to mean something. So what is mortal, what is made up of our earthly self, may be swallowed up by life or our eternal bodies. So what's he talking about here? All right? Let's dispel a few things that are, we know are not true from Scripture and I, those who do sermon follow-up questions, you're going to talk a little bit about this because it's one thing to disagree with something, but it's another thing to be able to know biblically how to refute it. Purgatory, right? Many people believe in purgatory, not in the Bible, all right? It's not there. And so why does Scripture say that that's not true? It's a good question to follow up on. Soul sleep. Some people believe that after one dies, their soul goes to sleep to be woken up again at the resurrection. And then even in this room, some of you may believe that, that we get a temporary resurrected body when we die, a temporary glorified body, and then we get our real thing later on. All right. So a couple of things that we know for certain, that when the believer dies, Scripture tells us, we immediately go into the presence of God. So when a believer go, dies, the presence of God instantly. How do we know that? Just a few scriptures, Luke 23, 43, when Jesus was talking to the thief on the cross, he said, truly, I say to you today, today you will be with me in paradise. And then verse 8 in our text, Paul writes, yes, we are of good courage. Like we're, we're confident here. We're bold because we would rather be away from the body. And if we're away from the body, where are we at? We're at home with the Lord. And so he continues on and he talks about maybe a few different options here of what could happen, what he preferred, and that's what we want to see from this text, what he's getting at. Look at it. Verse 4 again. Walk back through it. For while we were still in this tent, so what's life in this tent? It's life here on this earth, in this broken body, this broken world, temporary home. It's fading. It's falling apart. He says, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, What's he talking about? So here's why he switches metaphors, because unclothed means this disembodied soul. Once you die, you're in God's presence immediately with God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, Scripture says. But you do not receive your resurrected body at that point. So he says this nakedness is this disembodied soul that exists, but he doesn't want to lose his body, but he prefers to be further clothed. So instead of his soul and his body be torn apart, Paul's preference is for Jesus to return and him to get his resurrected body, his new body. And that's an amazing hope that we have. And he says in verse 4, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Verse 5, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, and he's given us the Spirit as a guarantee that this is going to happen. 
So to be naked then from our text is to be only a soul without a resurrected body. And, and this is important because we've said before, just a, a few minutes ago, that truth is always upside down from culture because why? Satan uses seeds of truth to plant ideas in people's minds and then gets culture to run in a completely different direction and let that be truth which is opposed to God's truth. And so the culture of the time when Paul was writing was this understanding that the body was evil. So this physical body, it's, it's just bad, it's evil. And the spirit, our spiritual selves, that's really what's good. And so the Greeks then, they desired to be freed from their body. They went out of these bodies because they wanted to be these disembodied souls, right? These spirits. And so Paul says, no, the truth is completely upside down from that. The truth is the fact that our soul and our body is God's intent, that we be reunited with a new body like Jesus had in the garden when he came after his resurrection, which was similar. You saw they recognized Jesus, but he was supernatural. He did things that he did not do when he was uh, living his earthly ministry life. And so we see that there's something similar about our body, so we're putting further clothing ourselves, putting on on top of. And so in some way, shape, or form, and this brings up a lot of questions I don't have answers to, like what age will we be when we get to heaven? I don't know that, but I know that Scripture says we will be known even as we are known. And so there has to be some way that who you are physically will still be there at least some level in eternity. And so Paul says from this passage, he says, there's three choices here, all right? His choice number one is for Jesus to come back. He not have to die. Jesus comes back, redeems this body and this broken world. Look at verse two. And for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. So he doesn't want to be naked. He wants to put on this heavenly dwelling. And as a high school kid, do you remember this? Maybe high school kids, you're like, I don't really know if I want Jesus to come back right now. Can you delay for a few years? Because i got some stuff to do. Like I, I need to get married. I need to have some kids. I need to experience life. Maybe one day, Jesus, I will look forward to, to you, but not yet because I can't really be convinced that life with you is much better than life on this earth. Let me just tell you guys, it's so much better. We trust God, as he says in a minute, we walk by faith and not by sight. If God says he's preparing for some, us for something that's so much better, then this life can't compare. And I'm not trying to like, make you feel small about having dreams about this life. Because God gives you a desire to live on this earth and have joy and to live with fullness and to want to experience all the good gifts that he gives us. But it doesn't compare to what he has for us in the future. So when those thoughts come into your mind, instead of being like guilty, like, oh, I shouldn't think that way, or beat yourself up over it, thank God, thank you for the good things that you bring in life. Thank you for the things that you give me on this journey, in this tent, that make life worth living and bring joy to me and points people to you. But God, I trust you that what you have prepared for me is so much better than anything that I could experience on this earth. That's how we respond to when that, those thoughts come into our mind. And so nobody ever told me that. Like, I just felt horrible about myself. Like, why am I thinking that? I must not love Jesus enough, right? Like, I've got to love Jesus more than this world. And if I don't, then maybe I'm not even a Christian. Let me just let you relax. Those are normal thoughts to be having. 
But know that those aren't true. Those are lies that aren't true, and we can know that God's way is always better. The second thing Paul says, his second choice, look at verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body, from the tent, and at home with the Lord. So this is that intermediate state that he's talked about. This is that disembodied soul where he dies, his soul goes to be with God in heaven as he waits for the resurrection of the dead. And the only scripture that specifically mentions this, even though that it's, it's kind of alluded to throughout scripture, is Revelation 6-9 where it says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. So this picture in Revelation of these souls that were there without the body. And so we don't have, that's an indirect reference. We don't have anything specific that regards to it, but it's what Paul's saying here is he doesn't want to be found naked. So scripture reveals that we're, again, we're absent from the body. We're present with the Lord. Paul said, you know, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So he says, this is the next option that being with Jesus would be better. The state of the believer after death is both better and different than what we've experienced in life, but it doesn't compare to the blessing that we will receive at the final resurrection. And then the third choice, he says, I'll stay on earth and I'll continue by faith to live in this tent until God's ready for me. Look at verse six and seven. So we are always of good courage for we know that while we are at home in this body, we're away from the Lord, right? We can't experience the intimacy that we can have when we're with him, even if we're not fully there with our resurrection body. Still, that's superior to living on this earth. But as long as we live here, we're going to walk by faith, not by sight. Meaning we're going to trust God. We're going to trust his promises. We're going to trust his way is better. And we're going to live in the way that God's called us to live on this earth. And you know what drives Paul in all this conversation? What drives him is his desire for intimacy with Jesus. What drives him is to to want to be with Jesus. He says, I want to know you, right? I want to know Jesus. And he realizes on this earth, in this tent, that he can definitely know Jesus, but if he would die and be with Jesus, that would be far better because he would actually experience Jesus and be in Jesus' presence. But then there's even a better way, which is, that Jesus returns, and then he receives his glorified body, and we're physically, we're the new heaven and the new earth, and we experience life, and we get to experience it in an actual body that we're not, we're not angels with harps. Right? We're people. We actually have bodies in eternity, in the eternal state. And Paul says, but if you leave me here, as long as you leave me here, I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. And he also says, that, that this little thing that he's given us to help us, it's not little, but he told us the Holy Spirit. Look at verse um, 8 again. I'm, I'm sorry, 5 again. For he has prepared for us the very thing God did this, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And so the fact is, while we live here in this life, in this tent, he says, look, this is definitely fragile, you feel vulnerable, you feel weak, you feel temporary. But you know what he says? He says, look at verse 6. So we are always of good courage in verse 8. And so we are of good courage. He says, you can live this life boldly, even as you live in this run-down little tent, because 
the Holy Spirit is in you as a deposit, as a guarantee that something better is coming and you don't have to fear death because if you die, you're with Jesus. You don't have to be afraid. What comes next is much better than what you're experiencing here on this earth. And then Jesus is going to return one day and then we can just get rid of this altogether, right? We're going to get something so much more improved, something that we're going to be put on further clothes. It's going to be so much better than this tent that we live in. So that's a lot, right? That's a lot. It's a, it's a tough passage, but I hope I made it simple. So let's take a head, heart, and hands application. Head, live with courage because you have the Spirit now and an eternal home with God when He's ready for you. Live with confidence. Live brave. Live courageously. If God is for you, who can be against you, right? It's like one pastor I heard during the prohibition time, he came to this town and people were doing some stuff they weren't supposed to do and he confronted them on that and they said, Pastor, we'll kill you. And he said, don't threaten me with heaven, right? I, we, we can't, nothing can really discourage us because we know what lies ahead is better. But, but Satan wants us to fear and sin calls us to fear. And yes, we, we know that dying is something that is painful. Paul knew that. He was human. It can be painful, but we have to trust God and know that his ways are better. And then the, the next heart application is, where's your focus? Where's your focus? Back in July of 2022, many of you know, my mother had a stroke. We went to West Virginia. She passed away while we were there. And then everybody came up, all the kids and uh, Michelle, and we, we just started cleaning out her house because my dad was going to be moving here to Bainbridge. And I wouldn't say my mom was a hoarder, but she, things weren't messy, but they were, there was a lot of junk, right? There was a lot of stuff. And you look at this stuff, and you're like, Goodwill doesn't want this, right? Dumpster. Goodwill, take this. Take it to Goodwill. And so we went through and, and all her stuff and inventoried everything. And I will tell you, 99% of the stuff either got thrown out or given away. And I remember Michelle and I were talking. We were like, whoa. Is this what happens to your life, right? Like you die and it's like, there's everything that was mine, now it's gone, right? Because if we invest in a way that doesn't make sense in this tent, this earthly life, it's all going to be gone. And I know when you're 14 years old, you're not thinking about the fact that you live in a tent. You're like, oh, I feel strong, right? But you're a tent, and you're going to see that. If you don't see it now, you're going to see it one day. You're a fragile tent. And so where's your focus? Are we going to do what Jesus said? He says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Notice what he says. He, he doesn't say, don't lay up treasures. Don't, don't do treasures, all right? We don't do treasures as Christians. He says, lay up your treasure in heaven, not on earth. So we pursue treasure. We just pursue the right type of treasures, right? There's nothing wrong with storing up treasures. So where's your focus? Where's your focus? And you think, well, what, what are treasures? Treasures are the best of your resources, the best use of your time. As those who went through our membership class heard about spiritual gifts, it's being willing to use your spiritual gifts. It's convenient. It's hard, but there's always a reward because it's who you are. It's the way God made you. And so if hospitality is your gift and 
you're going to have people over. It's like, oh, man, the house has got to be clean, and we got to get food ready and all this stuff, and it costs money. But you have people over. You have this great fellowship time, and you're like, whoa, that felt so good because that's what you're created to do is to use your spiritual gifts. Those who have the gift of evangelism, you can get shy and you get nervous, and you'll be like, it's too hard. Nobody's coming to Christ. Then you go and you respond and you tell somebody about Jesus, and it's like, whoa, that feels great because you're using the gifts that God has given you for a reason. So you're storing up for yourself treasures in heaven, not on this earth. Or you're using your money for the kingdom purposes. You write that check for the church, and you, or you, and you support missionaries, and you send people off, and you go over and above by helping missionaries uh, who, who are supporting, but you're like, I'm going to help them extra amount, right? And so you're giving of your resources, but you're storing up for yourself treasures in heaven, not on this earth. Treasures not of this earth. And so that's what God's called us to do. Growing grace, coming up, like over and above your normal giving. Like, oh, really? Come on, it's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. It is. Sacrifice is sacrifice. I don't care if you make a million dollars a year or you make 30,000 a year. Sacrifice is sacrifice, right? And so if we're going to sacrifice then we sacrifice because we want to lay up our treasures in heaven. So we're nothing wrong with storing up treasures. We're storing up treasures. We're just doing it smart, right? We're not putting them in a tent. We're not buying a chandelier like Michelle did one time for our tent. We had a big tent. We had a chandelier in it. We're not putting chandeliers in our tent probably, right? Because we know that it's no purpose in doing that because we're only going to be there for a couple nights, and then we're, we're going home, right? No, no offense. It wasn't nice that we had our tent really. Luxury felt good. And so our hands application, here's our hands application. Just like Paul started this off by telling them, you know this, here's a hands application. Remind yourself every day when you're in the Word. That's why one of the key reasons we get to the Word every day and pray every day, it's like, hello, self. Let me remember what's important today because, you know, I have this business meeting and I have this plan for lunch and I've got this going on for after school with the kids. And where's Jesus in all this? Hello, self. So many opportunities through my scope of my day here to just be about Jesus and share Jesus and lift Jesus up and show people through my life how to live for Jesus. And not just remind yourself, but remind others. Like Paul was reminding the Corinthians. He was reminding them, hey, remember, you're temporary, all right? It's not a sign of weakness, the fact that my body is being beaten down and I'm getting abused it's, it's a good thing because these tents, these bodies aren't going to last forever anyway, and it's going to be destroyed. Mine's going to be probably gone in a, in a few years, but trust me, there's something better. There's something better. Remind yourself, remind each other. Will you remind each other in your K group, not just remind each other during the group time, but maybe shoot a text to somebody during the week, be like, hey, let's remember what's important, what matters. That's easy to do. We live in a time where communication is so simple. There's no excuse not to be encouraging one another. Let's do that this week. Father God, we thank you for your word that gives us boldness, courage, confidence. It makes us brave to live for you because we know that you're bigger, you're better, you're stronger. And your will and your plan for the future is reality. It's way more real than anything else that we've ever encountered in our life. And God, help us to walk in those truths, live in those truths today, God. Help us to know that whatever your plan is for us, that, God, we can trust you, whether it's a long life and a death later on when we're 90 or 95 years old, or whether it's to our bodies to be destroyed early, a premature death. God, we trust you that whatever you plan, if you come back, 
God, we would love for Jesus to return and take us away. But until then, God, help us through the power of the Spirit, the guarantee to live this life that you called us to live. In Jesus' name, amen.